0: You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 18 this morning. We'll direct your attention to verse number 33. 2 Samuel 18, verse 33. And again, what I'd like you to do this morning as we come to this text, you know the story. We have been here. We have looked at the life of David. We find him now with the news of his son's passing. And I want you to hear again the words that we find in verse 33 as we sort of dissect them again this morning from last week. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. This is the word of the Lord. We'll look at David's words this morning. We talked last week about this phrase and and our, our gut reaction to this statement by David, knowing the story, knowing the context. And we said last week, certainly, this was a statement and a cry of grief. The love of a father for his son, regardless if the son is a hippie, a rebel, or a nerd. It doesn't matter. This is the cry of a father for his son. We talked last week about grief and the fact that grief is healthy for us, not to say that we won't Struggle with grief for an extended time? I think we understand that we will. And I think it's important to remember that that's exactly why there will come a day when Jesus will wipe all tears from our eyes. Our grief should be emotional, reflective, and it should motivate us to action. We should seek comfort from the great healer. We should stop sinning if our grief is caused by our own actions, and we should look for solutions for reconciliation. There's a healthy grief, and we have grieved, and we are grieving. And there's a grief that is not healthy. It's excessive. And here, David, it's not that he could not be comforted. He would not be comforted. His mind was clouded. His judgment was clouded. He forgot the promises of God, the way of God, the will of God. Um, it, he was in a bad place. And it took the truth to jar him out of that situation. So we talked about his grief last week. But certainly, as we see David's cry this morning, his grief is aggravated. It is intensified by regret. By regret. We hear David's cry. My son, my son, Absalom, my son. Now, we've been doing something in our church over the last several weeks now where I'll send out a little email to tell you where we're going and what we're talking about. And this week we said we'd talk about this cry of regret. Now, as you, I hope, looked at the text, as you read around the text, as you thought these things through, what might you suppose that David would have regrets over? Any idea this morning what might be a regret for David as he cries out, my son, my son, Absalom, my son? Not all at once, please. Joanne? His slackness as a father. Certainly as we know of the life of David, we see that there certainly must be regret over his son when it came to his parenting. Listen, let's just put it out there. David started off completely the wrong way. He had multiplied wives. He had caused disgrace and discord in his family. And by the way, anytime we step outside of God's plan and will for our lives, it will never end well. And I don't care if it's in the regard of marriage, of our sexuality, of our money, of our social life. When I step outside of God's plan for my life, it cannot and will not end well. We were designed and created for a purpose. That purpose is to please God. And in the pleasing of God, we find total fulfillment and joy and blessing. And outside of that, we find frustration, disappointment, and disaster. And certainly David now looks back at his life as a father, and he cries for a son. He made a mess of his family. We also know that David played favorites. When his firstborn Amnon was killed by his brother Absalom for raping his sister, you talk about dysfunction, right? It didn't just happen with Jerry Springer and Dr. Phil, right? This is humanity It's dysfunctional. His home is dysfunctional. And so he loses his eldest son. And the Septuagint helps us here because it says David would not trouble Amnon, or Absalom, uh, or I'm sorry, he would not trouble Amnon, the firstborn, after he raped his sister, because he loved him and he was his firstborn. And here is David in his household playing favorites. Now listen. Every mother should tell every one of their children, you're my favorite. And at the funeral, they can all fight and figure out who that was, all right? And if you're sitting here right now and your mother told you that, you know it was true for you, right? But David played favorites in the home. He literally had favorites. He did not correct bad behavior. He ignored issues. And he, and he, he did not praise Absalom openly for two years, He reprehended him openly for two years, the complete opposite. David's hand stabbed Absalom's heart. And as he cries, my son, my son, would to God I died for you, maybe, just maybe, David should have thought about living for his son. Regret over his son. Now listen to me. Understand what I'm saying this morning. Parents have an awesome weight and responsibility, and we are to do our best and to live our best before our children. But the truth is, even under those circumstances, there are rebels. We talked about this morning in our parenting class. You do your best, you give everything you have, and that child ultimately makes their own decision. Listen, don't beat yourself up about that, because God had the same situation. the Garden of Eden, two people, perfect environment, perfect father, and they rebel against him. But certainly in David's life, we can see misstep after misstep. Certainly he regretted his son and his behavior as a parent with his son. Is there something else David might be regretting here as he thinks about the loss in his household? Judy? He never forgave him. That's true about Absalom. About he never forgave him. Never did. It was always a problem and an issue in his life, certainly, about his son. Never forgave him. Any other regrets? Ian? He thought he was going to be a Solomon. He thought he would build the temple, right? And that was taken away from him. Certainly, it's a regret. The list keeps on growing here. Any other regrets? When David cries out, I wish I would have died instead of you, anything else he might be thinking about here? Bathsheba. You know the story, right? David says, If only my life might be given. Instead of yours. In his mind, I'm sure at this stage, he goes back to that moment with Bathsheba. David, was it worth it? Would David now say those few moments of pleasure were now worth what has happened in his home? His sin set the sword loose in his household. And remember this, David was forgiven of that sin. My dear friend, listen to me this morning. There can be pain in forgiven sin. Grace does not make sin safe. The truth is, nothing makes sin safe. Nothing. Not your personality, not your character, not your charm, not your conniving. Nothing makes sin safe. And the blood of Christ will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but it does not cleanse us from the consequences of our sin. And in love we shout out truth. The sin that you're involved in this morning and the sin that you delight in this morning will be your destruction. Grace does not make sin safe. It just doesn't. Can we not hear and feel the regret in David's cry this morning? I think John Greenleaf Whittier helps us here in this poem. He says, of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. And we come to a point looking at David's life, and certainly we hear the cry of not only grief, but now intensified by regret, and we say, David, what could have been? Had you not done this, that, or the other thing? A life full of regrets. And can we not say this morning, it is tragic? It is tragic. Now, before we all get on our high horse and condemn David and point out all the sins that are recorded for us to see in his life, can I ask a simple question this morning? Is there anyone here? who would say this morning you know as i think about it i don't have one regret in my life as i look over my life no matter how long or short it's been i don't think i made one decision in my life that i have regretted i don't think that there's one word that i said that i wish i could have taken it back i don't think that there is one response that i made to that person my spouse, my friend, that if I could do it over again, I would. Is there anyone here this morning, because I really want to meet you, if you would say and be so bold, I sit here this morning without one regret. Can I see your hand? Anybody? Because I was ready for you if you said something, so no. No one. Certainly we sit here this morning and understand we do have regrets. And I think we can maybe at times grieve with David. Oh, uh, would to God. It had been different. Now, some of our regrets are, are not life-changing, right? I was thinking about this truth this week, and I thought, what are some of the regrets of my life? And I thought, well, my one regret is I didn't marry my wife earlier. I married her two weeks into 18 years old of age, right? She was just 10. I do that because we're 30 years this year, so if you do the math, right? But we couldn't get married earlier except in the states of Kentucky and West Virginia, all right? So, so that wouldn't work. I, I regret that. I regret that as a kid, my first credit card, no one explained to me that that money wasn't free. Right? Do you understand that? It's not free. If there's actually interest on it, it never goes away. But I think about my own life and understanding regret in my own life. And even this morning, I can flash pictures across my mind while raising my boys that I wish I had not done that. I can see the room. I can hear the words. And it grieves me that as a father, I would treat them like that. Right, parents? We've been there. I think about my own marriage and my wife. There are times I thought, this dear daughter of the king is abused verbally or ignored by me. And instead of making her life a joy and having the beauty of Christ radiate from her, I've dampened that spirit in her. I've caused that woman tears. Believe it or not, I know that's for some of you think, I can't believe that but it's true. I have regrets over ministry. I've been doing this now full-time for 25 long years. Can I tell you something? Over that time, I've made terrible mistakes. I have said things and I've done things that I, I would never be proud of. They're regrets. I have regrets in my spiritual life. I I would think at this stage in my life, I am, Dave, how old are you? I'm 47, all right. Um, I I do that because I do forget he's older than I am. Um, uh, At 47, that I should be further along in my spiritual life that some of the lessons that are so obvious in Christianity, maybe by this time I should have had, I should have studied, I should have read, I should have applied myself better in these areas, and I regret at 47 that I do not know too many things to count. I have regrets in my Christian life, but there have been times when thinking about my testimony that I have caused shame to the name of Christ through my words, or my actions. It's not just Peter denying the Lord. We do it all the time. Regrets. And I would imagine this morning if we took the time and we were honest and transparent, which we try to do around here, that we could spend hours upon hours talking about our regrets. The problem with regret is this. gives us a bondage of shame We start thinking that God's general attitude toward us is rejection. With regret, we're open because we might be found out. We feel defeated. It fills us with despair as if we're condemned. But David's sins are marked down for us to look at over and over and over again for thousands of years. How would you like your regrets to be in a book that a thousand, two thousand years from that time people are still talking about? Where do we go with regrets? I said earlier that grace does not make sin safe, and it doesn't, it never will. But listen to me grace does make the sinner safe. Grace doesn't make sin safe. Nothing makes sin safe. Sin is dangerous, disastrous. It is death. But grace does make the sinner safe. It removes the guilt. Grace is the only antidote strong enough to overcome the toxic shame of sin we struggle with. It is the only motivation for us to get up when we have fallen. And grace is the only force potent enough to help our hearts desire change and to conform us to the image of Christ. And so this morning, what I'd like to do in the time that we have left, is I want to look at David's life now, and see how God speaks of David a thousand years after this incident. And then I want to look at another New Testament character that I'm sure this morning, as I call his name, you will know he had tons of regrets. I want you to see how grace operates. In their lives. So, this morning, if you would, take your Bible and look at Acts chapter 13 this morning. Acts chapter 13. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 22. We come to the story of Paul. He's in Antioch and he is preaching, right? Paul, the apostle of Christ, preaching, inspired by God, filled with the Spirit of God, and Luke writing this account of the message. And so, he's giving a brief history in this message before he gets to the main point. And he says in verse 22, And when he had removed him, speaking of Saul, he raised up unto him David to be their king. Now listen, this is written a thousand years or so after David's story. And Paul could have said anything about David. I mean, we have his whole life story. He could have brought up anything about David. And the Spirit of God could have prompted him to bring up anything about David in this text. I want you to see God's attitude toward David, as Paul preaches. It says that he raised him up, David, to be their king. Now watch this. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill All my will of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel's Savior Jesus. Do you want to talk about grace? When God could have said anything about David and his life and his mess and his regrets with his son, with his sin, what he chooses to say about David is, I have found a man after. My own heart. Who will fulfill my will. And through that mess of a life. Comes a savior. Jesus Christ. The glory of grace. Grace. Let's look at another character this morning. We'll we'll concentrate on this as we bring this to a close. But 1 Timothy chapter 1. We see grace in David's life, how God views David after all of the mess, after all of the regret, after all of the struggles. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, Who wrote 1 Timothy, do you know? Not Timothy. That's a a bet. Don't say Timothy. Who wrote 1 Timothy? He wrote almost half of our Bible. Bruce? Paul. You know Paul? He used to be called Saul. It's an easy change from Saul to Paul. Not bad. Saul has a past. Saul has a history. Look what he says now in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who, verse 13 was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. Paul sits back and he writes it to him and says, "Listen, I'm in the ministry now, God counted me faithful, but I want you to know something. I have a past. And in my past, right? It sort of looked like this. Public enemy number 1 against Christianity. In our day and age, literally, Paul would be considered An extremist and a terrorist. He was going to wipe out Christianity. That was his goal. He he thought he was doing the will of God. He was going to take them, draw them from their homes, drag them to prison. He consented unto Stephen's death. This was Paul's past. Now, i got to tell you something. I don't know about you, but I think if that was my past, I might have a few Regrets. Right? And Paul says, this is, this is my past. This is who I was. And then he says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly. Now, mercy is a little different than grace. He gets mercy because of grace, right? Grace removes the guilt. Mercy is kindness. He's getting now something he doesn't deserve. God's kindness because of God's grace. And he goes on there. He says... In verse number 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This grace overflows. It overflows. And I think this morning it would be wise for us to try to get our head around the idea of grace. We sing a song around here. um, Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Grace. Grace, God's grace, right? It it is greater than all of my sin. And Paul says, listen, I have a past, but because of this abundant, overflowing grace from God, I have mercy now. I have his kindness now because of grace. Then he goes on to say this, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. This is a trustworthy statement. This deserves our full acceptance. This is what it is. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I have to tell you something. Paul never wearied of the gospel, because that's the gospel in a nutshell. Christ, the anointed king who came to redeem Jesus, God in flesh, invaded our world with the purpose of saving sinners, to deliver them from death hell, and the grave, and Paul says, this is the grace that was showed to me, and he says this, of, to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now, can I tell you something? Let's just be honest. Oftentimes in our lives, we'll say things, oh, I'm such a great sinner, I'm a terrible sinner, um, and maybe you would say, I am the worst sinner ever, but chances are, you really don't believe that. Because right away we start comparing ourselves with other people. I'm not as bad as him. I'm a terrible sinner, but that guy, that woman, my neighbor, yes, Lord, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Do you know when Paul said, I am the chief of sinners, he really did believe that he was the worst guy out there because he'd been killing Christians in his Savior's church before he met him. So when Paul says, hey, Christ came to save sinners Of whom I am chief. It's just not, he believed that. He believed it. Now, watch what he says. He says, I've been, of whom I am chief. Verse 16. How be it, nevertheless, right, for this cause I obtained mercy again, right, because of that grace, that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all. Long-suffering or patient for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Now, you need to catch this this morning because this is really important. Paul has just said, I have a past. I have regrets. I have a life that I wish I could change. I made terrible decisions, but I obtained mercy. Because of God's grace, he gave me mercy. Why? Well, here's why. Because in Paul, it means that no one is excluded. Because of Paul's conversion, because God reached down and saved him, really the chief of sinners, it means that no one is excluded from this mercy and this grace. No one. No one. And you can sit this morning and say, but you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. His grace is sufficient. And if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for you. It's good enough for me. It's grace. And let me tell you something. In Paul's life, it's no longer about Paul. It's not. Because God says, I'm doing this. It's not about you, Paul. I'm going to use all of your failures, all of your mistakes, all of your regrets. Why? So people can look at your life and say, Man, isn't God amazing? That God would take a filthy, vile, wretched sinner. We live in a strange culture. We are changing words through our hymns now. We sing a song that that would... um, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch... Like me. And we have people now taking the word wretch out of there. Bad for my self-esteem. Yeah, you know why? Because you're a wretch. We're all wretches in God's sight. We don't like to hear that. But it's true. And, And what he's saying is, I want people to see that although we are human and make mistakes and have our regrets, I saved Paul... So I can show you a pattern of how good and how gracious and how kind and how sufficient my grace is. It is truly amazing. And Paul says this is what God's grace has done. Now listen, I want you to see this. Really important. We have regrets. Paul had regrets. But I want you to notice in this text, after he's just talked about grace and the purpose of grace, that God's long-suffering or patience can be shown forever. Um, Paul then doesn't go back and start beating himself up over his past. In light of what he's just told us about God's grace, he doesn't go beat himself up. Um, He doesn't keep apologizing. Look what he does instead. Now remember, Paul, killing Christians, has a past. God's grace appears to him. He gets his mind as best as he can around this truth. And look what happens in verse 17. He's not beating himself up. He's not continually going back there. He breaks out in praise. And he says, and you can, you can see, can't you see, as he goes through this, and he understands grace And how it affects his life. And how he knows his past. And he comes and he says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, Baptists, we can do this every now and then. Amen. It's a good thing. From the mouth of children, now it's ordained wisdom. Amen. And Paul says, This grace is so powerful and this grace is so sufficient that instead of beating myself up, I break out in praise. Yes, I've blown it. Yes, I have regrets. Yes, I wish I would have not done that. But it is the past and I have a glorious king that by his grace, he has saved me and his grace sustains me and his grace removes my guilt and it relieves my guilt. This morning, I am not minimizing sin. Grace does not make sin safe. It doesn't. If you're here long enough, we will preach against sin. All sin. Your sin. My sin. Your neighbor's sin. All sin. It's destructive. I am not minimizing grace, but this morning what I am doing is I'm maximizing our Savior. I'm maximizing our Savior. Because grace doesn't make sin safe, but I want to tell you something. Grace makes the sinner safe. I think Newton helps us with this. If you don't know John Newton, you know this amazing grace. He wrote it. You know his past? He was a slave trader. He was a vile, wicked man. So vile and wicked, as a captain of a ship, um, his crew wanted to kill him. I think he fell over one time and they finally thought we should get him and they harpooned him in the leg to bring him back into the ship. He was a vile, wicked, sinful man, responsible for the death of thousands and thousands and thousands. And Newton says, I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. He understood God's grace. We're not minimizing sin this morning. We're maximizing our Savior. This grace makes the sinner safe. Now, let me just give some instruction this morning as we bring this to a close. We'll Through our regrets. Number one, if this morning you have regrets and you continue to have regrets because you are doing something wrong, and you name it, whatever it is, then stop. Do I need therapy? No. Do you need counseling? No. Stop. God's grace that saved you and paid the penalty for your sin is the same grace that enables you to have power over sin. And whether it's pornography, wicked lust, your anger, your eating, sorry, Baptist, no matter what it is, by God's grace, I don't have to keep on going back here and feeling guilty. I can submit to the Spirit of God. I can have victory. You can have victory. We have the Spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead, lives within us. And when I yield to the Spirit and not the flesh, by his grace, stopping, right, don't leave the vacuum, replace that void with the right thing, the word, the spirit, accountability, a church, but stop. Or you will continue to have regrets for the rest of your life because you keep on doing the wrong thing. So stop. Number two, if that's not you, then accept grace this morning. Accept grace this morning. And not because you're special, but because of God. Newton, again, helps us with this. A man who was violent and wicked and disgusting. Comes to Christ. And later on in life, um, struggling with the past sins, the past life, the past regrets. And this morning, whether Satan is your accuser or other saints, listen to what John Newton said. Well, might the accuser roar of sins that I have done. And Newton said, I know them all. And he did. And you do. You know them all. I know them all and thousands more. But Jehovah knoweth none. That's grace. That's grace. When I repent and confess, I have grace. And so this morning, for too many of us this morning, You've got to quit. You are, you are like a flagellant where you beat yourself up over and over again from your past. The past is a past. And if you're saved, it is under the blood. Accept his grace because it's powerful. It is powerful. It is the only thing that can break the shame of bondage, the bondage of shame. It is the only thing that can motivate us to get up after we've fallen down again and is the only thing potent enough in our life to change the desires of our heart when i get a good dose of grace everything changes so stop accept and then extend extend listen to me i don't i don't understand how this quite works maybe because i really understand i try to understand i i'm a sinner man i I know I'm a sinner. I know I try to remember what God has saved me from. I've never gotten to the point where I think, God, you're really lucky to have me. right? I know. I know this. But some of you folks, you forgot what Christianity is about. And apparently, your sin doesn't stink in the nostril of God. Apparently, your sin is the respectable sin. Apparently, your sin doesn't matter. It's everyone else's sin. Can I tell you something, if that's your attitude? You don't understand salvation. You don't understand the Savior. You don't understand the price that was paid. And you don't understand that all sin stinks in the nostril of God. Yours and mine. And if you're not extending this grace to people who have a past, you don't understand the gospel. Period. And if you don't believe me on that, read Matthew 18. You know the story. Guy has a debt of billions of dollars, could never pay it back. He goes to the king and says, forgive me. And the king says, ah, you're forgiven. Clean slate. He goes out, a guy owes him 50 bucks. He takes him by the throne and says, pay me all of it. And it says, I can't. He makes the same plea that he made, and he casts him in prison. And the king, the Lord, says, you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. And the point is, forgiven people forgive because we understand grace. We all have a past. I think at times we could all cry like David whether it's our son, our situation, our sin. His grace is sufficient. And what I want you to know when you leave this place is his grace is sufficient for you. It's funny, this morning we sang a song that's been going through my head for weeks now. Um, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. And I want to read you the, the words this as we close because I think it encapsulates grace, and I think as we understand this, it will empower us to finally break the bondage of shame, regret, and that we would allow Christ to take this ransomed life now and use it for his honor and glory. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, and if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed, you suffered in my place, you bore the wrath reserved for me, now all I know is grace." Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose and let my song forever be. My only boast is you. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Grace, grace, wonderful grace. Let's pray.